0: Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly, call 1-800-858-858. Glass is beautiful. That's what everyone thinks. Otis Eyewear's range features stunning mineral glass sunnies that transcend the boundaries between style, durability and sustainability. The world looks better through Otis Eyewear. Visit otuseyewear.com.
1: She always does. It's a big spinner of the ball. An old fashioned leg spinner, really, by the odd bull toss and long hop, but a lot of turn. Hasn't got the
0: control of Shane Warne. A very handy bowler. Ah! Right. he's got him. He's got a wicket, yes. He's got callous. The girl strikes, and that's a
1: big wicket. Good spin and bounce. Good catch. Good cricket.
0: Callis not happy with the decision again, he stood there for some time, Gilchrist spontaneous but have a look at this delivery, speared into legs. stump, maybe even outside leg stump floats in and then rips across, don't worry about the new ball and the new wicket in a new innings and a new year, Jar Callis gone, a good catch by Gilchrist Stuart McGill breaks through well, quick
1: info says on Stuart McGill, and in part of a very uh, nice description, there is one line that caught my attention. The best strike rate and the worst luck of any modern spin bowler. <laughs> Macca, uh, welcome to the show. Clearly a reference there to someone who you've spoken a lot about over your time and, and, and uh, throughout your career, Shane Warren, An accurate representation,
0: buddy. How are you? Thanks for joining me first. Pleasure, treasure. Uh, Look, uh, people have always said that I was unlucky, but um, I think you you recognise this yourself. I I think anybody who's played even one test match um, is lucky. Um, um, It's been something that, uh, you know, one of my mates played his first test for England the other day and and you can never have that honour taken away from you. And um, so whether I played, you know, one test, 30 tests, or 140 tests, I think I'm a pretty lucky guy.
1: Yeah, agree with you there, mate. There's uh, certainly um, no taking for granted the fact that you, we all got there. Mate, you wrote a beautiful piece on Warney, uh at the time of his passing. Wait, wait, tell me, what do you remember about learning of, of Shane passing away? What did you feel because of, because of the fact that you two were married up so much through your career due to the, 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 the skills that you both had and, the, and player types you were?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's funny. For me, um, um, you know, let, let, let's be honest, Shane drove me up in the room um, <laughs> most of the time. Nothing to do with the cricket. just He drove me up, drove me nuts. But, um, you know, listening to him on the commentary sometimes, I had to put mute on. But, <laughs> but <laughs> the thing is, it, it's true. The thing is, I've heard, I mean, we'd spent so much time together He's around, he's been around since. I mean, I think when, when you and I were at the Creed Academy together, I met him in 91 in um, the, probably the Junction Oval. We're having a net. And so he's been there for me since before I started playing first class cricket. And I, I just kind of feel like he, he, he was always around and he, he will always be around. I don't think it's a, a life that. that um, that definitely will be easily forgotten, and 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 mm-hmm. so his presence for me will will always be felt. Um, you know, to the to the extent that when the cricket's on this summer, um, I think I'll probably lose it as well because he's not there. Um, yeah. I, I I I think it's very difficult when somebody with his you know. <sighs> presence in a room, in a, in a team, you know, on a commentary team, um, you know, it's very difficult to imagine life without them. Um, and there's definitely a hole there, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're absolutely going to notice that throughout the summer. Uh, a huge, whole huge personality. But what about... Um, playing with him on those opportunities, 16 tests together. Uh, You took 82 wickets, Mac, at 22 average, Warney's 74. So you just were ahead of him. He's 29. But, uh, I mean, I remember I had the best seat in the house. I was uh, blessed to be where I was. But uh, what did you find playing alongside a guy like Shane, who's revered as the best ever?
0: Well, first of all, you know... um you know, I I think it was very disappointing for me. The only thing that was disappointing for me in my entire career, actually, is that we didn't play together more often. Uh, oh. I I felt that you know I don't think we ever lost a test together, um, and I I just felt that you you pick your best five bowlers, or you and and the purpose of a test match is to get 20 wickets, in my opinion. So I always felt that there could have been more opportunities. It's a lot easier for me to bowl with guys like, you know, Warren and McGrath and, and Lee down the other end than it is for them to bowl with me up the other end. <laughs> because <laughs> all I was concentrating on was taking poles as quickly as I possibly could. Um, whereas you know, other guys had slightly different roles, you know, based around keeping the runs down. I didn't really worry about that. I just tried to get to that 20 as quick as I could. But, um, I feel that having played with Shane and during the same period of time as Shane, um, it's a lot easier for me than it is for any anybody who's come since either of us have played. So they're being compa- compared to Shane as much as I was, um, for better or for worse, but they're never going to have the opportunity to play with him. And so there, there's some luck right there for you. Um, I I played on the same surfaces, you know, against the same oppositions, And so it made me feel very proud that, you know, we both took a lot of wickets together. And, um, you know, I, I know we certainly messed up a bunch of teams when we did play. Um, but I, 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 you know, i say it again. I mean, you say you've had the best seat in the house. I, I think... You know, bowling up the other end of shows probably
1: the second best. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like your description. Messed up a few teams uh, when you both were in town. We you certainly did that. <laughs> hey, you mentioned the, the opposition. T- tell me, uh, in simple terms, a batsman who you felt most challenged by uh, and, and in turn, who would you enjoy locking horns with out of that? Uh, you know, there was a number of, you know, high-class, world-class batters across the various teams we played that you both were always given the job to have a crack at.
0: Yeah, look, I think you know basically you know what fast bowlers are like. When they give up, we get the ball. Um, You know, (laughs) the the real hard men of cricket, uh, spin bowlers, that's for sure. Um, But I I think um, I I think the most devastating batsman I played against was Brian Lara. There were blokes that were harder to get out. Um, That's for sure. I mean, in one series, um, Dravid was virtually impossible to get out and and that was a bit of a surprise to me actually because I'd played against him quite a lot before in first class cricket and never really had a great deal of trouble with him but um but I think it was 2003 series in Australia yeah. he was basically just you know impenetrable clever, I I couldn't I couldn't really get on top of him but Brian Lara um would devastate you um and he he was a bit unlucky not to have a better team around him because I think mm. the 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 ferocious rate that he scored at um, meant that you could almost let him get a hundred because nobody else was going to make a run. Um, but he he definitely belted the living daylights out of me from time to time. <laughs> I think, mind you, I I did pick him up more than I picked up any other batsman, which you know I guess there's a a small flip side to that. But I bet he averaged around sixty. <laughs> um, the, the one, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did actually, which is a shame. But the, 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 one that I, I guess I enjoyed bowling too. And I think I only got him out two or three times was, um, was Lakshman um, because, because of the way he played, um, you know, you didn't want him to get in either um, because, you know, he just completely bombed you once he was set. And, um once again i um, he did that in a couple of tests against me too but um mm. and you, you you probably had the best seat in the house for for, for that as well <laughs> but um, yes. yeah, Lashman yeah. was probably a goodie Lashman was definitely a goodie um and i i i i i got him out i think in both innings in melbourne um that year, and i think it was the happiest i 've ever been you know it was a it was a real achievement for me and i i i think that was probably a couple of my my happiest wickets. Yeah, well, that, that series uh, that you talk about, uh,
1: 304, that was a grind for us. So we did work hard for our wickets. Um, <laughs> mate, what of, your, uh, what of your relationship, how do you describe your relationship with cricket? Um, because, and I'll, I'll ex- explain that to our listeners, uh, the, the, rumour has it, and I know, I always say, what's Julie McGill like when they ask, I love Ben around him because he's so well read. I love, I learn from him when I'm around in talking and doing because you just read 24 novels reportedly on one tour of Pakistan, but you did used to sit in the change rooms when we were batting and barely watch a ball, didn't you? Just read and read and read. But did you love cricket? Did you enjoy it? Did you dislike it and you just happened to be good at it? What was your relationship with the game, mate?
0: Yeah, no, no. Uh, look, um, one of the main reasons, and <laughs> I sound stupid, but one of the main reasons why I used to read was because I'd fall asleep. <laughs> If I didn't, um, <laughs> we we're, we're, were hitting them that bad, were we? People, <laughs> <laughs> well, normally people people read a book to fall asleep. They they, they generally keep me awake, so um, that was that was one of the main reasons. The other reason um, was that for me, I, I was slightly different to a lot of blokes in that you know I didn't start playing first class cricket regularly until I was twenty six. Mm. So I'd been a spectator, you know, all my life, and. Um, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, in terms of you guys boring me, that wasn't the case. I, I probably <laughs> watched more after play than than a lot of uh, <laughs> of guys, a lot of guys that I played with. Um, you know, particularly, you know, if guys that I liked made you know big scores or you know batted particularly well. You know, I remember um, not being in the team and watching you know you bomb. Um, yeah, uh, the thumbs the, the in Perth, um, at the Wacker with that uh, Grease Lightning Hundred that you 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 put together. Um and and just loving it. And and I think that when you're in the team, well when I was in the team, my approach was all about being ready to bowl. And yep. if I if I wasn't absolutely bursting at the seams when we walked onto the field and it was my turn to bowl, then I feel like I felt like I'd I'd let myself down. Um, So uh, I used to try and be as, because I'm quite an excitable, uh, you know, I I get pretty pumped up and I've got bad temper and stuff like that. And So I tried to be as calm as I possibly could, Um, (laughs) at least to start with, Um, (laughs) because it was only ever a couple of balls away before I completely did my nut. And, uh, you know, we've got to be careful about that sort of stuff. So that's what the books were all about. But I did yep. love cricket. Um, and, and I think, you know, being a bowler, um, the adrenaline that you experience, the, the rush that you experience when you get a wicket, um, particularly if it is a big... well, oh, no, actually, look, any wicket, even if it's the number 11 batsman who can't bat, you know, because the anticipation, it builds up to such a huge degree, it's like, a, you know, a, an exploding volcano. You know, you can see a bulge in the side of the mountain leading up to the eruption. Yeah, <laughs> you probably yeah. see a vein in my neck sort of starting to throb <laughs> a bit. And then you get a wicket and that's just, you know, a roar of excitement. And that's something that I can't, I, I you know, I've tried to find suitable replacements for it. But once you stop bowling and once you stop playing cricket, you're never getting it back.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a tough um, adrenaline rush to to replace. Uh, well, you were always cricket was always in your life. I would I would assume grandfather Charles played first class cricket for WA. Your dad Terry, uh, did you feel a sense of um, expectation or responsibility, or were you able just to go about it and 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 it worked out that you're very bloody good at it?
0: Uh, look. Uh, yeah, no, grandpa and, and, and dad both playing for WA certainly meant that there was cricket in the family, but it was probably more um, dad would played first grade in Perth for, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30 years. He was playing forever, it seemed like to me. And I, from the time I was able to sort of look after myself, I used to go and watch all day, every day that he played club cricket. And, you know, just used to, hopefully find another couple of kids and we'd sort of, you know, muck around with a tennis ball. And and that's what I did every single summer from the time I was probably four or five years old. And, and so I always wanted to play cricket. We were lucky enough to have a a decent sized backyard uh, in Florida. And uh, uh, there was a big tree that was the stumps. And so, you know, invariably, if I wasn't watching him play cricket, I was, I was playing, um, out the back with my mates and even even when I was a bit older and playing first grade in Perth, my cousin Dave lived around the round the corner from um South Perth Cricket Club. And he had a really cool driveway at his house. So we used to, you know, play with the tape ball taped up and I even I ended up putting fuse wire on, around to make a seam, so when he got pinned, it used to cut him, which was even better. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, not shocked either. I know. I know, it's cruel. Because he's, you know, he's about 15 years younger than me too, so I was bouncing living daylights out of a poor young bloke. probably <laughs> you know, well enough, he doesn't play cricket anymore. But for me, <laughs> for, for me cricket was always going to happen. I didn't... I didn't um, I didn't anticipate it being a career, or, or, or certainly something that I spent most of my time on, until I was 18 or 19. I I, I um I was playing at North Perth, which uh, I don't, doesn't exist anymore, but I played playing at North Perth and not really doing much. And then I I got hit for nine sixes in a game of fourth grade by a guy called Justin Quinn Schofield. He was he was um he was a first grade bowler or um, all rounder, as it turned out, and he came back to fourth grade recovering from a back thing. and belted me just absolutely sideways. So, yeah, 9-6. But the week after, I think I got six and then the week after that, and the week after that, and I just started getting piles of wickets and moved up to second grade sort of straight away that season. And I got picked in the WA under-19s. And I I didn't even know that there was such a thing as state junior cricket, to be honest. You might think that's a bit silly, but not having been very, good when I was going through school, um, I was a bit shocked. I went down to train with this this bunch of guys, and the next thing I knew I was flying to Melbourne. I'd missed all the trial games and all that sort of stuff, which is probably... Mm. Probably good for me because who knows? I might have bowled a you know a bunch of rubbish in those games and missed out. But I um, ended up getting picked, went to Melbourne, and um, from that time on, things started to gather speed. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I can do this. Um, it did take me five or six years to get there, but once I did, it was worthwhile.
1: Yeah, very worthwhile. You, as I said, you read a lot, and you. Um always seemed to have outside interests from the game. I remember sitting in one change rooms, a little science experiment we ran, basically run by you, and I observed and, and, and prayed for a good result. But you were trying to ferment grapes into wine, so that, that caught my attention because I was more than happy to try and sample it. But uh, that I always admired that about you, that you, a lot of us, and maybe that was not going through the junior system per se and being channeled into it. Um, maybe that allowed you to develop that compared to a lot of us that, were sort of identified early at, you know, 13 and 14 and so on. But, um, but mate, um, of cricket now, you, you've been out of the game, but uh, you, you certainly, I know from chatting with you recently about aspirations to get back into coaching. What many don't know is you've already played a significant role in the development of a, mainly, uh, well, not mainly, but a number of young spinners overseas. Tell us about what, who you've worked with and, and what your aspirations are for moving forward.
0: Yeah, look, it's quite funny, really. Um, coaching... Because I don't, I don't want to be um, the coach of a team. Um, yep. You know, I have no aspirations to, you know, to, to, to coach New South Wales or, or Australia or England or anything like that. But I do love being involved in elite spin bowling coaching. So you know, filling in as part of the coaching team, if you like, and um, uh, having played county cricket um, for for knots for three or four three years. Um, I, um, you know, met a lot of blokes over there. There's, there's there's, obviously a lot more first-class players over there. And, you know, the history of the game is sort of runs pretty deep. And so I made a couple of decent contacts over there. And um, consequently, England used to send to Australia to play club cricket in the summers, used to send two or three spin bowlers. And I would have, you know, they'd play for their own clubs and, you know, be put up by the clubs and I would spend two or three sessions a week with these guys, just, you know, a morning two or three times a week and we end up getting quite close to them. So, you know, um, Mason Crane, who's from Hampshire, played a test match out here, he actually played probably more impressively, played for New South Wales in a a first-class game and New South Wales, I I think he was the first, Overseas player to play for New South Wales since Imran Khan in the nineties, so that was a pretty big deal for him. He picked up five for in that um, in that first New South Wales game, but he he played a test match for England before he got injured. Um, Matt Parkinson, who filled in um, in the first test of this most recent series um, against New Zealand for him, he um, he's one of mine. And mm. what I what I found working with these guys is. Um, They're all slightly different. Most of the young English kids are cricket nerds. Um, I think because they're really, really immersed in it there. There's no getting away from the game if you're a county-contracted player. Um, So they they just love it, Um, which makes your job a lot easier. But what I've found is that it really helps to spend a lot of time with a group um, when, when you're trying to coach them technically we would start each session um having breakfast so you know i think i did most of my work well at least 50 percent of the work is done away from the cricket ball um talking about the game trying to work out how to communicate with them a little bit better um and that that means now um because obviously covid's messed up um my my coaching sort of stuff because um, I'm not in a bubble um, with with the teams. And, um, you know, I went away with the English team. I went to New Zealand with them um, a couple of years ago. Um, I um, looked after them out here when the spin bowlers out here, Moe and Ali and, you know, a couple of their boys when they were out here um, playing an Ashes series. But um, since COVID's hit, no opportunities whatsoever so hopefully now things are starting to clear up a little bit um, I might um, you know have, have some opportunities either over in England or maybe with one of the um, you know the, the the franchise teams floating around the place because I know that spin bowling particularly as the formats grow shorter spin bowling becomes more and more um, Damaging to batting sides, so you know maybe there's a, a couple of couple of opportunities for me there. I'm certainly putting the feelers out. It's um, as you know, it, it it tends to be a little bit of a closed closed club. Once um, yeah. people get jobs in those uh, environments, they rarely let them go. But I'm um, I'm certainly going to be looking um, because I really do like I like coaching. I, I love getting a text match message from the boys telling me how they're going. Um, I've, you know, even now. Great, you can stream test matches. So, uh, I've been watching, you know, Essex play. One of my guys, Matt Critchley, is an all rounder for Essex now. I've been watching him bowl a bit um, in the county games. It's, you know, it's something to keep me occupied, and I really do enjoy it. It's very rewarding, actually.
1: Hmm. Oh, I bet, yeah. Uh, well, there is plenty of opportunity out there, and it's, um, as you say, the shorter the format, the more important the skills of spin bowling are to a team. Mate, we spoke last week, Uh, I've just completed doing an interview. There's a a feature on you on this coming Sunday night on Channel 7 on uh, their program Spotlight. And I did an interview for you in around uh, how I knew you and playing alongside you and, and, and sort of that was my area of comment. Obviously, there's going to be a focus on some other areas in your life that have been in the public space. Now to breaking news on the Stuart McGill kidnapping case with police arresting and charging two more men in connection with the alleged abduction. Early this morning, detectives from Strikeforce Kane arrested four men following an investigation into alleged kidnapping of a man from Sydney's lower North Shore last month. It was April 14 when the test cricketer was walking near his home when he was snatched off the street, bundled into a car and driven to Brajili in Sydney's west where he was threatened with a gun and assaulted. Big drama, uh, huge drama. I can't comprehend it. And, and, and chatting in the brief detail with you about April last year, and, and you know words like being kidnapped and threatened at gunpoint and so on. What, what, can, you, what can you tell us about that? that given it is a, a police investigation and, and a trial, I believe yep. in October
0: 2023. Yeah, unfortunately, uh that that's that's the biggest problem for me, um, because I sort of feel like it's pretty much put everything on hold for me. Um, I, I, I can I can as you said, it is it is an ongoing police uh, you know, um, investigation. Well the investigation part's pretty much done now, I think, but um but the the trial's not until next year. But um, I've, I've made I've, well, made a statement to the police, it's on record, and so I can discuss um, the, the contents of my, my statement with you. Um, basically, um, I made the introduction, I had a mate who used to come into the restaurant and um, my partner's uh, brother, um, I, I had a fair idea, you know, we've been in the restaurant for about four or five years um, and it's a lot more stressful than people realize there's people in all in and out all the time. It gets very, very busy. Um, and I'm just talking all the time. Um, and so, um, I never really got along well with, um, Maria's brother. Um, I actually thought he was a bit of a dick to be honest. Um, and it's turned out that, um, it turned out I was right. Um, I made an introduction, the two of them then went away and did some business um, and there was a, a, a theft. Um, it was alleged it was alleged that um, my friend had had, had knocked, um, knocked off um, uh, Maria's brother. And that caused all sorts of problems for me because they considered that I was responsible for that. And um, that certainly wasn't the case. Um, I was not involved in their business in any way, shape, or form, um, and I never would be. And um, (laughs) consequently, Maria's brother um, came around to my place and um, told me that it was my fault and that I was um, responsible. So
1: Maria was your your partner at the time? My partner,
0: yeah, my partner. um, We've been seeing each other for five or six years, so... Um, but it was not something that you'd really like to happen to even your worst enemy. Um, later, I, um, later on um, in the day, I was getting quite dark. Um, I was bundled into a car by three three blokes. Um, I didn't want really to get in the car. I said to them twice, "I'm not getting in the car." Um, but then it became um, obvious that they were armed. Um, so they said, you know, we know you're not involved. Um, just want to have a chat. Um, and then they put me in the car and I was in the car for an hour and a half. Um, now I'm not, you know, I'm from Perth originally. Um, I'm not familiar with, you know, large parts of Sydney still. It's a big place. Um, but we were in the car for an hour and a half and it was, you know, the longest hour and a half of my life because, um, i didn't know where we were i didn't know where we were going and and i was i was scared um from that point they they um they stripped me naked um, beat me up threatened me and then just dumped me um that was that was over the course of maybe three hours out in the middle of nowhere in a in a little shed um I was scared, I was humiliated, uh, and I really didn't know what was gonna happen. Um then they chucked me back in the car and dropped me um in Belmore. Um and I didn't really know where I was then either, to be honest, although, you know, I've been around there a lot, because um, of Bankstown Cricket Club, but, but I but I didn't really know where I was and um i was just very very lucky i i found a um a very sympathetic cab driver who um he was lovely actually um he offered even to you know take me back um to eat with his, him and his family um it was a it was a really really nice nice fella um and um he ended up dropping me home and that's when things probably got even a little weirder for me um because they were coming for me. They asked me... They told me I had to come up with money um, to to ease their burden, um, despite the fact they told me over and over again that, you know, I had nothing to do with the business transaction. I wasn't even aware of it. Um, well, this is...
1: Mate, this I, is uh, the, 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 the police have stated uh, right throughout, as far as I can see, you're not accused of any wrongdoing certainly from their perspective so it's um that that's uh, that, that, i would assume that, that, that gives you a level of, of comfort yeah well i guess and brings with it a level of comfort if the police are thinking that but do, just even what you've just described and what you've obviously put on the official police record do, do you feel safe now do you need protection is there protection offered or is it you've just got to wait now until october till this trial goes ahead
0: um I, uh, I've, I've felt um, a huge amount of pressure. I mean, I, I basically ran away for, you know, um, a month afterwards. Um, Maria chucked me in the back of her car. I was in the boot, got out of got out of my, my unit. Um, then I had a couple of mates who generously, very generously, put me up in hotels around Sydney for um, two or three weeks. And then I ended up, I went away with one of the guys. Um, we, went, we ended up driving up the coast of New South Wales and through Queensland, and it ended up on Fraser Island. So I think all up, I was probably away for, you know, six weeks or so. Um, by the time I got home, most of the guys had been arrested, um, which was good. Um, I, um, I, I I don't like going outside. To be honest, I I try to be put a brave face on it. I'm not a big fan of crowds anymore. I I, I sort of feel as though there's been so much media coverage that um, everybody's talking about me. Um, I'm wrong. Uh, I'm just paranoid. I, I know that, but <laughs> paranoia is a very real thing. Um, and I, I am nervous. I, I don't like it. I, 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 uh, I've tried different ways of coping with it, but um, the police have been amazing. Um, I, you know, there's lots of, lots of stories out there and, and most people have had experiences um, with police that, you know, aren't always favourable, but the major crimes guys over here have treated me with huge patience, um, and a great deal of compassion too, because as you can imagine, in the days following uh, the abduction, um, you know I was, you know, shaking all the time a lot, you know, the tears. Yeah. Um, and they've look. If I, I mean, if I felt in any danger now, I could just phone them. They'd be somebody'd be here in five minutes. Um, yeah, they've sure.
1: been fantastic. Oh, That. It's good to know you. You feel that level of comfort, mate. You, you mentioned you don't like the. You felt like the paranoia that everyone was talking about you because of the media exposure. I guess the devil's advocate. Why? Why did you do the program uh, that's going to air on Sunday night? Why? Why are you talking to me? Being prepared yeah. to talk to me on a radio show now and going into into that, I get. Well, it must be really tough detail to talk about and recount what happened.
0: Look, um, that's it's a good point. Um, I have felt, as I mentioned, I've felt stuck. I've felt like everything's sort of been paused um, since April of last year. So it's over a year now. Um, I'm not working. Um, I've tried a couple of times around Christmas. It just doesn't, it didn't, just no good. Um, People, the the press to a large degree have have caused me some headaches because, um, you know, there was somebody sitting outside my house freelance guys sitting outside my house for eight months of last year um, which you know makes it almost impossible for me to go outside in the daytime um, I was approached by you know a number of media outlets immediately following it but i I just wasn't ready to talk about it and things not everything had been cleaned up either um, you know I think the last guy wasn't um, arrested until December of last year so you know, there just wasn't the time wasn't right, um, uh, and I feel like I've got to try to move on. Um, and I saw the Spotlight program as an opportunity for me to, um, I guess, you know, speak publicly for you know pretty much the first time um, and get my side of the story out there, particularly considering court's not for, you know, another 18 months. Um, You know, I I think probably if court was around the corner, um, then I would be less inclined to talk to, you know, Channel 7 and and yourself. But um, I, um, look, I think it's going to be difficult after the show airs for me, um, because it's going to be brought up again. But hopefully this time it might die down a bit quicker and um, then I can, I can get on with my life. Um, um, you know, um, Channel 7's given me a little bit of money too, which is, it, is great um, because, as I said, I'm not working. Um, and it certainly means that I'm a lot less of a burden on my, fr- on my friends and my, on, and my family in, in that respect. Um, because I, don't, cause I, I hate that. Um, but I, I've found the media to be almost suffocating. I, I don't have free-to-air TV in my house anymore. Um, I don't I don't read the newspapers at all. I mean, you know, I think I sold more papers for News Limited last year than anybody else alive. Um, it always seemed to be, you know, somebody would be sending me a text message and in the end, the second I saw any reference to it, I wouldn't even read their text messages. So, um, you know, hopefully this will... Settle things down a little bit um, and so that we don't have to go through it anymore, me and my family because it's, it's driving me it's driving me crazy you know i don't, I, don't, I don't like sitting on the couch twenty four hours a day
1: yeah mate it sounds like something i can't comprehend, and uh, as you say hopefully more, most importantly through all of this and, and by the end of the trial the, the absolute truth. Can come out uh, and all mm. will be revealed. But mate, I um, I appreciate it's uh, must be very well. I know it's uh, from talking with you um, and communicating with you over the period of time. It's such a tough period for you. I really appreciate you being prepared to um, to come on and and have a chat. Not just about that, but about the the cricket journey. And I'll say, mate, I'll close it by saying. I'll never forget when I was captain, my first test as captain uh, at the Adelaide Oval, when I wanted to go up to, to Penfolds with you the day before the game just to sample a few Vinos, but it was a bit busy due to the press and, uh, and I just needed a rest. But you kindly, uh, when you went up there with a few of the others, you brought back a bottle of Grange and presented it to me at the end of day one of that first day that I captained, which it didn't go to plan, did it? The man you mentioned, Brian Lara, is about 180 not out. And, but anyway, it was a really kind gesture and I've still got that uh, bottle down in Marcella, unopened, that you'll be pleased to know about. But, uh, Mac, I I wish you all the best. Um, It's been a a tough run of late, but it was a a brilliant career that I enjoyed playing alongside you, mate, and I really appreciate the the continued friendship, mate. Take care.
0: Pleasure, Gilly. There's a a long way to go, mate. uh, I'll be the last one standing. You wait and see.
1: (laughs) All right, mate. All the best. Thanks for joining us here on the Friday Focus.
0: Thank you for listening to In Focus with Adam Gilchrist, brought to you by Otis Eyewear. The world looks better through Otis Eyewear. See the range at otiseyewear.com. It's Tyre Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Tyre Power's Bigfooty final sale can't last. Visit tyrepower.com.au now.